0: Hello and welcome to another podcast with Jeff and Josh. I'm Josh in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are? Jeff in Northboro, Massachusetts. And now that we have that settled, uh, you'll notice I didn't call this the Hot Sheet Podcast because the Hot Sheet's done for the year. This is just the Jeff and Josh podcast right now, accepting submissions for better names. Might not use them, but it's not the Hot Sheet Podcast until next year. Either way, you're stuck with the the two of us for the next however many minutes. Uh, Enjoy or don't, you'll have us both. (laughs) In any case, this episode is a little different than we've been doing in the past. Last two weeks, we've kind of previewed the Fall League and can only preview the Fall League so much. Um, This week, we are doing a little bit of reader mailbag. Uh, We got our chat functionality restored over the last couple of days. And on the site, we've been having a sporadic chat since uh, it came back. So we decided we would take a few of the questions that had been asked of our readers and kind of break them down here. Um, Jeff uh, was so kind as to compile the list of
1: questions
0: from our readers. So I'll let him uh, introduce the first question.
1: Sure. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. And there were uh, a ton of questions you can go over onto the site and, you know, read some of the explanations. I was in there. I know Josh was in there. JJ had a ton of different answers. Um, You know, it it went through uh, everything from, I think, some minority contracts stuff to, um, you know, a wide variety of prospects across all different levels. Uh, So really pretty interesting. The first question I want to throw up here, though, is from Brett in Indiana. And uh, he says, over the years, who are some heralded prospects you are most disappointed to have seen fail? Uh, for Brett, he says it's the Cubs left-handed pitcher, Carl Hamilton, a Chicago-area kid who couldn't overcome arm injuries in his early 20s. Did get, uh, get did a lot to get me excited about Carl in the mid-1980s. So I could flip it back to you, Josh, if you have um, one in mind in particular that, that is somebody that fizzled out. Pitching prospect, hitting prospect, I don't think he specified in particular, but one that sort of burned you a little bit or maybe taught you a lesson.
0: You know, I don't I don't know if I have anybody specifically because I've never been taught a lesson. I've never learned a lesson and I've never been wrong. Um, only half of that statement is true. I don't don't have any uh, particular guy in mind, but when you asked me that, the name that came to mind, and this was before I was really prospecting, I was more beat writing. So whether you know the player was, Good and a prospect, or just good in the context of the Trenton Thunder, didn't really matter. Um, but Manny Benuelos with the Yankees from back in the day, he was, and a little bit this year, I think he made his Yankees debut this year. Um, he was the guy for a while. Um, you know, on top 100 list, uh, near up near the top, of uh, top 10s, all sorts of things where you know, you thought he was going to be the next guy. I remember, too. I, I remember taking a picture uh, during a Yankees game that I was covering. I forget what the context was, but I think I saw it was Yogi Berra, Manny Banuelos, and I want to say Jeter kind of all in the same general region. I was past, present, and future of uh, you know, Yankees greatness. And it's just going to. A- and it, it turns out it, it didn't work out that way. Um, there were some arm injury issues um, with him. There was also just, he wasn't as good as everyone expected, um, but he is the guy that I, I, or one of the guys that, you know, I thought you know, we'd be talking about a long way, a, a long while and it didn't, it just didn't work out. He's just made the big leagues. He's pitched in the big leagues uh, sporadically over the last couple of years but he's never, you know, lived up to anywhere near the hype. What about you, Jeff?
1: You know, it's funny. There's a few that sort of come to mind. Um, and a lot of them for me are, you know, as a as a guy that grew up in New England, uh, right outside of Pawtucket and, you know, went to a lot of Pawtucket Red Sox games. A lot of them are, are sort of Red Sox prospects, that, like stick in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. The first one that came, that came to mind was like Lars Anderson, who – had a ton of hype for you know a good period of time and uh I think everyone thought you know this is going to be sort of the next Red Sox hitter that they develop that turns into you know a potential impact bat um I think they even held on to him in some trade negotiations at certain points in time and it just never fully came to, to fruition um the other guy that I remember and I don't know if I remember him correctly because I was young so you know sort of forgive me with this one, but um Dwayne Hosey was was an outfielder uh with the Red Sox like super speedy I think he had a little bit of pop too um and I I can just remember seeing him um like in Pawtucket and thought he was going to be like awesome and uh like I said once again I don't know how how well I fully remember uh him as a player because I think he was actually probably a little bit older when I finally did see him but I feel like there were a few guys like that where just um you know, you see him and uh, you're sort of younger and don't necessarily have the context or understanding of like, what's going to make it work. And, you know, it's just different times. Uh, Those are two guys that kind of stick in my mind. I'd say the other one that, that probably irks me a little bit is like, Jesus Montero. (laughs) I thought Montero was going to be really good. I think that was around the time I was getting into like fantasy baseball. It was really highly rated. And uh, I had think i drafted him or um stashed him and like with some expectation that he was going to be you know uh an impact guy for me for a bunch of years but it never happened he was uh, it just never clicked you know
0: well you're just you're just sending me all the way on a way back machine with both those guys not so much with dwayne hosey but okay so lars anderson obviously came through trenton a lot of times when he was with portland and as i recall he Uh, single-handedly knocked him out of playoff contention in one series, but he also gave one of the best answers to a question. No, that's not how I should phrase it. Best answers to a non-question that I've ever heard. There's a a pet peeve among media and some fans who pay particular attention to the media where if I want to know about a performance, uh, I'll say, hey, Jeff, tell me how you think you did out there last night or tell me about that play. It's not a question. So Anderson hits some sort of big home run, and a reporter says, "Hey, man, talk about that home run you just hit." And Lars kind of thinks about it for a second, and in his beautiful California accent says, "Well, what do you want to know?" <laughs> and it was like that, <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard because it was perfect because the guy didn't answer ask the question didn't ask a question. He just asked him to talk about it. And
1: Lars,
0: (laughs) be more specific, please. In the, in the friendliest uh, Valley guy way I've ever heard. And then with Montero, obviously he was super hyped coming through Trenton. Oh my goodness. Um, We only got him for a short time in Trenton because of the injuries. I feel like it was only like nine home games that he played um, before he had a thing where I think he caught a ball wrong and broke one of his fingers or something, and they was done the rest of the year, and then by the next year, he was in Scranton. But yeah, that's another another one who fizzled. And one of my favorite things about him, though, is when he did get to the big leagues, um, his first two home runs were off of Jim Johnson of the Orioles, if I remember correctly. And they came on virtually identical pitches in terms of, location, velocity, and like whatever pitch data we had at the time. They were almost the same pitch twice. And he hit them to the same spot twice, almost down to the seat in the stands, which is one of the coolest things I could ever think of. It's just like, you're gonna throw me that pitch, I'm gonna do this to it. And if you throw me that pitch again, I'm going to do the same thing to it again and just bombard these three people in uh, whatever section of the yankee stadium right center field seats uh were there at the time i was that was hilarious fun for me all right jeff now that that one's done what's the next question on the docket
1: sure so this is one specifically for you josh because it's one of your uh one of your one of your favorite players that isn't named Choria. uh so this is from bob in pennsylvania bob says ba snuck Andy rodriguez into the back end of the top 100 but the way he's hit double-A AA and triple-A and the best defensive catcher nod in his A-ball league list seems to suggest he maybe deserves to be quite a bit higher. What's the ceiling of the seemingly underrated breakout prospect? Josh, you have been banging the drum on Any Rodriguez behind the scenes for quite a bit. So um, talk to me a little bit about this. And I think there's so- also sort of, an element of the answer to this that's beyond Eddie Rodriguez and really more about sort of the updates throughout the season and then sort of the dynamics of players graduating and um, guys coming back on that we think are top 100 prospects that certainly could rank a little bit higher but Um, we'll we'll start with that element of it
0: yes he did sneak onto the back of it but the way we do this is if a guy graduates and we should have one more graduation this year that's uh, Shea Langelier's of uh, the A's, he's probably gonna graduate sometime this week um, and we'll get one more guy on there, but no matter who it is, they're gonna go in at number 100. Um, that's just how we do it. Unless it's, a, and then when we do big re-ranks and shifts a couple times a year, that's when things change for you know uh, our or bigger changes. So you've got you get the guy on 100, no matter, I mean, if he comes out and after the draft, let's say a guy comes out after the draft and is not on the 100, he goes seventy for seventy with seventy bombs. Well, he's going on the hundred at number one hundred <laughs> when a guy graduates. So that's kind of just more of a, a process thing. But yeah, Andy has been a guy I've been really sounding the alarm on for a while. Um, you know, Henry Davis gets a lot more of the hype in the po- uh, the Pirate System as catcher of the future, but Andy Rodriguez is, is the Pirates catcher of the future. Um, if their if catcher of their future is internal, and I, have talked with our guy who's going to do the Padres, uh, the Padres, the Pirates, um, thirty for the handbook, and I said, you know, you want to be real careful how you do number one right now, which I believe on the website is Termar Johnson, their first rounder from this year's draft. I think Andy has a really strong case as the number one. Uh, prospect in the pirate system he can hit he can hit for power and to be fair i'll I'll clarify this here one of my bigger reservations with pirates prospects uh who come through greensboro is that greensboro is extraordinarily hitter friendly it's you know uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before i think it's basically like reading in the eastern league asheville in the carolina carolina league south atlantic league um and other parks throughout the country who are super hitter friendly there. I mean, you can lose a ball pretty easily in that ballpark and guys who go off for big power numbers there, you have to check the splits. You have to, but, and I was a little concerned that Andy might have been the Greensboro Mirage, but he got to double a and he didn't quit. And that's not the same. And then he got to triple a and in the very small sample, he hasn't quit. And so not only can he hit, he's a switch hitter. He can really catch. He can really throw. He's athletic. He can play positions around the infield. I think, you know, if, if we were just going to put guys on, like if Greg graduated and we were going to put the next guy at like 50 or whatever, if we did th- that degree of updates, well, A, we would all be driven mad, but B, he would have gone much higher than number 100, I think he's at number like 96 now since we've had enough graduations. Point being, I think he's in the upper tier of catching prospects in baseball right now. And I could I make an argument that he's top two or three catching prospects in baseball. I think this is a, a star in the making. And it's a great job, again, a testament to the value of professional scouting. This uh, Nobody thought anything or anything much of Andy Rodriguez moving in the, the super three-way trade that was the, the Musgrove-Mets-Pirates deal when he went to from the Mets to the Pirates for Joey Lucchese. But here he is. Someone on the backfield saw something and said, you know, maybe try to get this guy. Maybe he's undervalued. And he was. And the, the scout who got him or recommended him was correct so far. And he looks all the world like a steal and a top prospect in a really good, deep system. So that was a very long way of saying, uh, questioner, you are correct. Uh, Andy is much better than the 96th best prospect in baseball, at least in my opinion. But before we go to the next question, we, Jeff, are going to take an ad break in three, two,
2: now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
0: And we are back. Jeff, read us the next question from your magical Google Doc that I lazily Ooh. do not have up on my screen.
1: Oh, no problem. So this is from Bradley in Chicago. Um, it says, we saw some prospects take huge jumps this year, like Jackson Cheerio. Josh's ears are ringing. Who are some of your candidates to make that kind of jump next year? Um, I'm going to grab- you start one. first. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, let me jump on this one first, Josh. You know, I think, number one, uh, the expectation that anyone necessarily takes a Churio sort of jump from, we'll say, a known prospect sort of on the periphery of lists and that sort of thing, because he was number 10 on the Brewers list coming into the season for us. um, To make a jump to the top 10 overall in all of baseball I think that sort of sizable jump rarely happens. We see that every few years. It's not a given every season. There's certainly some guys who sort of jump onto the back end of the top 100 and the progression's a little bit slower. But, you know, I think, it, you know, if you're looking at something like this, you're looking at somebody maybe like an Anthony Volpe in 2021 who took a pretty sizable jump from where he was. Um, but it's usually not players that are totally off the radar. They have to be a little bit younger. Um, So I think draftees are probably a really good place to maybe target um, some names here that could be potential breakouts, you know, if things sort of do shake out correctly. A couple names that sort of jumped out for me. uh, I think just, just from like the, the college side of things, um, Brock Jones uh, had a pretty good debut. I know some of the scout feedback, Early has been pretty good. There's still some swing and miss issues, but he gets on base. There's power. Um, There's center field defense. I think he's kind of interesting. I don't know if he's necessarily going to break out in that sort of, you know, way, shape or form. Um, Any guys for you, Josh, off the top of your head and you can go sort of back and forth. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys maybe within the first round, like Spencer Jones, someone like that. You could say that about, Um, but you know, you you study the 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 complexes a little bit more than I do, and I know you have a couple of different names that you want to throw out there based on some some good scout feedback.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's secret that Miguel Blaze with the Red Sox is a really talented prospect. Um, he's a potential five tool player, and he's going to. I think he got to low A for a little bit this year. I might be wrong on that, but you know, he got some he very he did? It, yeah, no, he did not. No, he did was, not. You're, you're right, right. He had get a back injury right at the end of the season. Yep, yep. When I was doing the ACL and FCL top tens, the reviews on him were really loud. He was a slam dunk for number one. That was, you know, I could play center field, hit, hit for power, run, throw, do it all. I said five tool player. I listed all five tools. There you go. Just to prove that I know them. Um, I'll just go to the number one for the ACL as well. That's Angel now with the uh, Guardians. And, you know, if there's, well, their system is really, really, really good. I was going to say, if there's one thing the guardians know, it's middle infielders. Well, they also know pitching. Um, So they've, they've got that. They they know a lot of of prospects, but they do have a glut of talented middle infielders and Janau is is in there with all of them. Uh, Those are my guys at that level. I mean, but you said it correctly. Like, expecting anyone to take a Chorio-esque jump. And frankly, he's not even the most absurd jump in the last couple of years. Ellie De La Cruz was known to only the hardest core of prospectors and uh, Reds officials. And you know he wasn't Ellie De La Cruz uh, until he matured over uh, uh, you know, physically and became this five-tool monster that bullied his way out of the ACL in 11 games. That's the most silly um, jump I've seen in a while, and both those guys are in the same realm of prospects. I could I could also pick another Guardians guy. I'll go with Chorio, Jason Chorio. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if he's going to make the same jump as his brother, but he's a really interesting prospect uh, nonetheless as well. So this is a long way of Jeff and I both saying it's a lot to ask of a prospect, but. When it comes right down to it, I'll, I'll be the guy who, who bets on uh, the really young guys with loud tools. Yeah. Um, and that That's that's how, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not an evaluator in any way, shape or form, but if I were to be, you know, tools is where I place all my chips. I'm also not a gambler, so I'm <laughs> creating a metaphor out of a lot of things I don't do. Um, <laughs> th- did you yeah, have and
1: I was gonna say, I have a couple more names I'll throw out there. Um, Joshua de Paula uh, or Josue, Josue de Paula. Yes. Uh, from the Dodgers. Um, more of a big body guy with with power and some bat to ball skills. I would say necessarily like super tooled up, but I think he's still fairly athletic for the body style and like the video that I've seen. And I've watched a little bit of him. Um, he's pretty interesting. He can be a guy that breaks out. Then I have two more draftees I'll throw out there guys I saw in the Cape over the last couple of years. Um, one in Chase Medroth from the Red Sox. Uh, he went 129th overall. Shortstop, he's hit really well out of the draft. Um, bat-to-ball skills, great approach. Good base runner, really good just sort of instinctual ball player. It's just a matter of adding impact, and, and I think with pro organizations these, day, these days, that's something that more often than not you can uh, you can maybe bet on more so than other tools, really making uh tremendous leaps and bounds just with some things that they can do the other one is a guy who doesn't lack impact at all that's uh nathan mortarelli he was drafted a little bit further after me another uh, uh california uh west coast college kid went to cal played with katuit uh in 2021 here on the Cape. big impact a lot of power i wrote about him actually um in my article on monday looking at some of the uh some of the exit velocity standouts um, post-draft um, this summer. So can read we a little bit about Jeff. him. I think he's a guy that, you know, kind of pairs impact approach and contact pretty well. So he could be interesting.
0: And, and for the listeners, who drafted him?
1: Uh, the Padres, excuse me. Cool.
0: cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of uh, where we are on those guys. Um, Jeff? The, oh, All no, right. I, what, I, I did want to go back one second. Sure. You mentioned De DePaula. I was talking kind of to a scout about not necessarily him in general, but I brought his name up and I said, Oh, so we, we like this guy. Said, okay. Who's he with, who's he with Dodgers? Uh, is he a left-hander? Yes. <sighs> Shakes the head. Apparently the Dodgers do well with a lot of guys, but it seems like they do all really well with left-handers, especially. And DePaula seems to be, uh, another guy in that line now jeff slash vanna white vanna white doesn't read questions the next question
1: please no problem yeah uh if vanna white did uh i'm sure it would (laughs) be a very similar voice to mine uh michael bay area from the bay area it was a brutal year for many of the giants top prospects aside from harrison and luciano that's not too bad um matos palmares ramos Bednar, Mikulski, Bishop, Bailey, all had varying degrees of bad years. Uh, Do you think the Giants have a player development issue? Brown, McCray, and Schmidt are great stories, but all those struggles are concerning. Josh, you cover the Giants, so... And I answered this question in
0: the chat, so I will uh, rehash my answer there. I don't think there's a common thread that ties, outside of who their employer is, the guys who have had down years in that system are you know Bednar and Mikulski both early on from spring training didn't look like the same guys who were drafted as high as they were I mean I those were the two first guys I saw off the plane this year in spring training and their stuff was both very vanilla you know or or worse I'm not not sure what's worse than vanilla I I love vanilla but anyway. those two guys were, you know, just not as advertised and I don't know what happened there if their stuff just backed up, but there was very little the player development staff could have done to avoid that backup that they didn't see coming. Um, with Patrick Bailey and Hunter Bishop there were offensive questions about both those guys coming out of the draft, And they manifested themselves You know, and also Bishop has dealt with some injuries and COVID and things like that, but the offensive questions that they had as amateurs have shown up in spades as pros. Matos, you know, he had a fantastic year in 2021, but there was question or there were questions about how well his very aggressive approach was going to play going forward. And it didn't play very well. And they tried to get him to take more pitches and work deeper into counts. And he kind of got stuck between two approaches and the result was a lot of weak contact and just a bad year until very late in the season. I'm very, he's one of the guys I'm most excited to see in the fall league, but kind of this is all this is to say is I don't think there's a major player development issue because this is, they're not all failing for the same reason. And then you did give the other side of the coin where guys like Vaughn Brown, that's a great success uh, scouting success story. Um, we were a little later on him, um, just because, you know, he is 24 years old and he was beating up on low A guys and uh, high A guys at much older than the level. And then he got to Richmond and did it against more age-appropriate people. So now, you know, it, it looks more real than or it's it's um, it's easier to believe that Von Brown might be one of the best prospects in their system now that he's playing against competition his own age grant McRae was always a toolsy guy you know kyle glazer kind of um, highlighted him in spring training scouts talked about him early you jeff in northborough uh talked about him in some of your fab articles that's a fa- uh, fantasy auction something article i don't know i'm not good at fantasy <laughs> 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 articles but he's popped up a, a lot he's he's toolsy as all heck uh, the hit tool needs still a little more refinement. You got to Eugene by the end of the season. Um, but there are guys who are success stories in that system who weren't as high profile. So I, I don't know if they have a, they have a player development program uh, problem. You can't really say that without looking at the successes too. That's a long way of saying, no, I really don't think they have any one particular player development problem. Jeff, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I, I obviously don't see... Uh much of the giant system i did have a series with richmond this year and you know for me it was more i think we've seen casey schmidt take positive strides towards sort of refining the areas that he needed to refine um Kyle harrison um from what he is to what he's been able to do at the age that he's at i think that's a really good sign um i i felt that you know um though there might have been some some down seasons on the eugene squad uh, overall, the team performed well. Uh, they won a title, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, I thought there were some interesting arms, you know, within that pitching staff. I know Carson Seymour is someone that they acquired, but I thought he was really good. Um, Mason Black, I thought at times, showed uh, a little bit of something. So, you know, all was not lost. And, I, you know, I think that the other thing sometimes, too, is as your players are challenged to maybe try different things, there's maybe some steps backward to sort of take a few steps forward. So it could be one of those scenarios. I really don't want to write off the giants um, and the, the organization because they've done well to acquire a fair amount of talent. And I think some of the guys that they've sent out of the organization have been the right calls. So, um, you know, I'm sort of sort of on the fence with this one. Uh, You obviously work a lot closer and are much better sourced in the Giants side of things, but, sort of just with the organizations that I get to watch because I see a lot of Vancouver Eugene um, that team wasn't so bad. I thought there were a lot of, you know um, potential future major leaguers, even if they're not necessarily uh, at the quality or level of role that maybe some fans expected at, you know, draft time or when a particular player signed. But that said, Josh, we have one last question here on the podcast and it is a Cuero Marathon mania, aquaro mania, Aquerathon, A Aquerathon. That's good. Aquero query. Yes, Aquero query, a query. If a forum so of Queros. Yes, it comes from Darren in Madison, Wisconsin. Go Badgers! He's uh, in our B A D L fantasy league. Yes, he is. Uh, he says Jefferson Quero and Edgar Quero. No relation. Jefferson is from Venezuela. Edgar is from Cuba. Just want to state that ahead of time. Uh, where teenage catchers with breakout seasons do both project to remain catching going forward, and which one is closer to becoming a top 100 prospect? Josh, Jeff, um, I want to send it over to you and ask you a little bit about Jefferson Cuero because you've seen him a bit, and I have not seen Edgar Cuero in person, but I have watched quite a bit of him, and uh, he's somebody that's been on my radar all season long just based on some of the plate skills and underlying data. So. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Jefferson.
0: Well, here's here's the funny thing. I answered this question in chat, and I think, in my infinite wisdom, I said, "Well, I'll answer about Quero," and I didn't specify which one because <laughs>
1: it wasn't know. technically wrong.
0: No, it, it could have been, but um, <laughs> uh, the the Brewers Quero was a guy I was really high on. Um, entering the season based on some big noise he was making in the, the Arizona backfields. Um, I, he was one of my breakout picks of the year. It turns out, right club, uh, maybe not about yeah, to, not to sell Quero's season short, but uh, I picked the wrong guy from that club. But in any case, um, he's got an interesting blend of skills. He dealt with a little bit of a finger injury this year that he played through, but he's a solid catcher. He's got a little bit of mechanical stuff to work on there. He's a great leader, bilingual. As far as I've I, I heard and read, um, there's some offensive skills there. The power is going to need to come a little bit more. But he's a guy who you know could be an everyday catcher in the big leagues. Maybe not a star, but a, an everyday catcher in the big leagues who could handle a staff. There's a question about um, the staff he handled in Carolina this year wasn't the most velocity heavy. Um, so there's a little questions about that going forward. But he's got the makings of a really good player, Um so I, I, I don't know how close he is to the top 100. There's really no, like, if you were to hack BA's uh, various spreadsheets, you wouldn't find any lists of, of the next guy on. You'd need to hack our Slack and sift through our various arguments about this guy and that guy. Like, the arguments about who's going to fill that Langelier spot once he graduates are ferocious and uh, fevered and fervent uh, <laughs> and last for days. But there is no, I, I couldn't definitively tell you who's closer. Now, Jeff, tell me about Edgar Cuero.
1: Yeah, and I'm just going off of some of the numbers I have, by watching, and then also the source notes that we've got a lot of the work from, from Kyle Glazer, who has uh, Angels coverage in season. But um, big thing with him is really advanced plate skills. Contact bat-to-ball skill is plus. This is an, you know, near 80% sort of neighborhood contact guy. Really low chase rate. Low 20s, you know, high teens, sort of never expands the zone unless necessary. You know, the, the power uh, year over year, he's shown gains in his exit velocity data. The scouts are back in that as well. He's really getting to more impact earlier than a lot of them had anticipated. Um, you know, and uh, I think one of the big questions is really, you know, what's the defense going to be? It's been getting better. Um He's still just 19. I think that's the other thing probably with with Jefferson Cuero, is um, when someone's this young, it's really hard to sort of pick out like, you know, is this guy physically and, you know, number one, going to stay healthy enough to catch every day because it is a a rigorous uh, position, um, but also pick up all the little things along the way that catchers need to sort of have in order to handle a pitching staff, and, you know, do the things that you have to do in game um, to really execute at a high level at that position. Um, But I think overall, the feedback has been that he can catch. He should stick behind there. Um, But, you know, sort of an average-ish arm, uh, but no major concerns uh, in terms of the receiving or anything back there. And he has a really nice plate profile. So um, I think as an offensive player, not all that different, probably, from where maybe Gabriel Martinez was a few years ago in the Midwest League, where a contact guy with good approach and um, maybe had shown some flashes of power a little bit earlier than people had expected. And you know, obviously, Moreno's defense has gone, you know, to a to another level. So you know, I think you know Cuero is a really good one, and, and a guy that I think potentially could be in the top 100. Certainly, he's been in the top 100 discussions of late. So.
0: On July 24th,
1: I tweeted, yes,
0: uh, that at that point, Chorio Jackson Chorio was one of two teenagers in the minor leagues who were hitting 300 with 20 plus doubles and 10 plus home runs. Well, Chorio went to Double A and hit the skids a little bit and didn't finish the year hitting 300. But that statement is still true uh, regarding Cuero. He is one of two teenagers who are in the minor leagues who finished the year uh, with averages better than 300, more than 20 doubles, and more than 10 home runs. The other being Davis and De La Santos of the Diamondbacks, who got to double-A by season's end. Uh, the diff, Well, there's a lot of difference between those two players. But also, it's pretty interesting to note that Cuero, 91 strikeouts, 73 walks. So his on base this year... If I can click correctly, was 435, the 312, 435, 530 as a catcher in low A. That's pretty special. Um, You know, he's, I don't know if he's how close he is to the top 100, like I just explained, but he looks like a really good player and a really good piece of an angel system that's trying to uh, rise from the ashes in Phoenix, Uh, (laughs) where their their general minor league. uh, uh, complex is held that's a very specific joke and i'm making air quotes there mm-hmm. point is yeah uh, edgar cuero and jefferson cuero are pretty are, are, are pretty interesting similarly named unrelated catchers in the minor leagues and go. that's our five questions for today next time i talk to you it'll probably be uh, recording from a hotel room somewhere in mesa arizona and jeff will Yippee. continue to be in northborough massachusetts like a fool (laughs) Uh, until november until november when he heads out to the same area of the fall league uh anything you want to add as a closing thought jeff
1: yeah no um a lot of good content coming out this week i did uh, a couple of sort of check-ins early this week on monday and tuesday one on the hitting side one on the pitching side with 2022 draftees uh looking a little bit less on at like sort of baseball card stats and performance. Carlos will follow up with something like that. It's looking a little bit deeper into some of the performers. Are they just looking at guys that maybe, you know, were hitting for power, showing some, some returns early uh, based on source data and feedback I had gotten from, from folks. Uh, I think the spin rate one and uh, looking at some interesting breaking balls and fastballs and and arms. Uh, I think there could be some, some big potential uh, breakouts next year in that one. So Take a look at that. I have a few other things coming out this week, some some fall league stuff too. Uh, And I'm jealous of your upcoming looks, but uh, there you go. That's there's there's not a
0: whole lot of reason to be jealous of me, but that's one of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I will say I've got my I wrote the story on the minor league player of the year, uh, which you will all find out the winner I believe tomorrow, um, as the close of the minor league season. Uh but there's some pretty obvious candidates and I, I don't think anybody's gonna be surprised who it is. I also wrote a shorter case for another guy who had a case as the minor league player of the year. I don't know when that's coming out, but I think it's later this week. Uh and then I think I'll have a, a thing about uh a X number of guys in the fall league who could break out. Um and then it's also just grinding away on top 30s. Um, It's the Easter up uh, in the issue after this one. And I've got the Yankees and the Marlins grinding away on those calls. Um, And I'll close by saying, you know, to all our friends who are in Florida right now, stay safe as this hurricane approaches. And um, for Jeff in Massachusetts, I'm Josh in North Carolina saying thanks for the listen. Bye.